This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to Anchor. .fm to get started. Peace. Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I am your host, Melanie Studley. Hello, my name is Seth Studley. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And thank you for joining us today. Today we are going over the episode, What Do We Do Now? Which is episode four of season one. Mm-hmm. And this episode is kind of a heavy episode. We warn you in the show itself because it does deal with things like sexual abuse, childhood stuff and all of that. Mm-hmm. But it is a really good episode. Lots of really important things to talk about in marriage. And also, I forgot to say, if you're new here, welcome. We have over 300 episodes about all things marriage and relationship related because uh, people need real help, y'all. Yeah. So we're Let's talk about it. sex. Let's talk about connection. Let's talk about family of origin. Let's talk about divorce. We yes. all got it, people. That's right. We got it here. Thank you again for joining us. And if you really like the show, we have a gift for you. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to get your free audio book. Tons of you guys are doing this. We live on audiobooks and podcasts because we have a growth mindset. And if you're listening to the show, you have a growth mindset too. You want your marriage to change. So go get a free book on us. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage. Yep. And we don't need to talk much before we dive in. Other than saying this is a heavy episode, you will be warned multiple times. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, enjoy. All right. See you in a minute. Last week, we talked about differences with Agnes and Ale. If you missed that episode, I highly recommend that you stop right now and go back. The show is chronological and it makes more sense if you listen in order. And a quick warning before we start. In this episode, there are a few stories that have some pretty heavy content of sexual and physical abuse. I'm letting you know ahead of time in case you're listening with children or if these are sensitive topics for you. I'll also give you another reminder before the actual story starts so that you can turn the show off if you need to. We're going to start off this week's episode with a couple that I know pretty well. My whole name, Sean. (laughs) What's your name? Carrie. So Carrie is my sister. She's only three years older than I am and lives five minutes down the road with her husband, Sean, and their four kids. They've been married for 15 years. So when was the very first time you saw Sean? Was it my birthday? No. It's Winnie's birthday, I think. Wasn't it when we made spaghetti at Winnie's house? (laughs) You not remember that? (laughs) I remember. I remember it. I probably just ignored you, I imagine. You did. My sister's a little weird. So what was your actual first date? 
We've never, never gone on a date. Never gone on a date. Like, what do you mean you've never been on a date? We really don't go on dates. We never did, really. Well, I, oh, well, I mean, there's been times like, uh, um, we've gone to dinner with like just Carrie and I. It's always super date. awkward. <laughs> we sit there and laugh. It's like wherever we are, we just are ourselves. Yeah, so, so we may as well be we, well, It's like, why don't we go somewhere to spend money? I can just sit right here and be next to you. It's fine. <laughs> you guys ever fight? <laughs> we don't fight. Um, I mean, no. we don't fight. Uh, we get uh, upset with each other sometimes. But then we're both kind of the, when we're mad, just don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. Right. It's really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the healthiest. Yeah, the healthiest thing to do. I think it was a lot, I think we would have more like fights, maybe before we had kids, or like when they were little. Yeah. Just because I, it's like you're still trying to figure out marriage and... Um, like your expectations versus reality and why isn't this person measuring up or what's wrong? What am I doing? Yeah, like that kind of stuff. But yeah. I think the older we've gotten, it's just like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> Especially, I think, over the last couple of years, and maybe it has to do with Grant's going through the stuff with Grant, it kind of throws stuff into a tailspin, so you're trying to figure that out that you don't care about things. But mm-hmm. um, Can you say Grant? <laughs> this is my nephew. He just turned five. What else can you say? Can you say train? Got train? Are you looking at that? Before Grant was born, Sean and Carrie lived a hundred miles away on the east side of the Cascade Mountains in Ellensburg, where they had met in college. After getting married, they decided to stay there and raise their family. And that's what they did until about two and a half years ago. Happy, happy. When Grant was just a baby, Carrie noticed that he was doing things that his older brother and sisters had never done when they were little. So she was curious about it. See, I think I I just happened to be on the computer, like looking at child development things, because he wasn't talking very much. Like at what age? Like 18 months or something. Usually Mm -hmm. when babies start talking or whatever and he would say a couple things like he said bye once or twice on his own but then we were trying to get him to say juice and he just wouldn't mm-hmm. and usually kids like they'll try yeah he just wouldn't even try he'd just be like nope don't care and then he started i think what really made me start looking less so than the speaking or anything like that was when he started spinning all the time. When he was that little, he would spin and like look out of the corner of his eyes when oh. he spun. It's very non-typical looking because it's yeah. just like, what is that kid doing? Yeah. Because they're not trying to engage with any other other kids or anything. He's yeah. just purely because he wants to do it. So when and as soon as I, I remember, like super vividly, I typed it into the search bar and everything that came up was like, when kids spin and look out of the corner of their eyes, is it always autism? Like, that was, like, every single... I'm like, wow. oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, he can't have autism because I don't know why I thought that. I, I knew nothing about it. Um, but... So you thought he couldn't have it? Yeah. So then as soon as I started clicking on things and it was... It was just describing him, everything, everything was real. I was like, oh, that, yep, he does that, he does mm-hmm. that, he does that. So I knew 
like the next day. I mean, I probably knew that night that he had autism, like for sure, mm -hmm. because it was just too, way too much that was exactly like him that when he's so little, you just don't think about it because it just is like, well, he's little, so mm -hmm. he, it'll, it'll happen. It's not anything scary yet. It's fine. But because he matched everything so well, it was like, no, that's what it is. After Grant's diagnosis, Sean and Carrie began looking for therapy options in Ellensburg and the surrounding cities, but they kept striking out. They knew they needed as much therapy as they could get for him, per the recommendations of doctors and parents within the autism community, but Ellensburg just didn't have it. So the idea of moving to the west side of the mountains was looking like the best choice for Grant and his needs, but that was a big jump for their family. I had a conversation with my boss before I left Kittitas, and she had known for a while that uh, I was looking for work and we were going to have to move and all this stuff. And, uh, and she'd said stuff about how it must be hard and, and this and that and how it's just such a, a big thing. And I looked at her and I said, you know, it kind of is. But at the end of the day, he's just our son. And we're just taking care of our son the way that we would take care of any of our other kids if they had any kind of need. And when I look at it like that, it's like, well, this is just what parents do. Um, and this is what I want to do and want to be able to do because it, like, if I can do something to help my kids out and, and make their lives better, then that's the whole point of being a dad or a mom or whatever. So it's kind of a rewarding thing because I feel like I'm fulfilling my job as a parent. Um, the decision to move was not hard mm -hmm. by any means um, because it was like, well, that's what we need to do because we need to get granted the therapy as soon as possible and we can't make it happen in Ellensburg. I asked my sister if she thought that Grant's diagnosis had changed her. Our life went a certain way, and it was really, really good, comparatively speaking, to the majority of people. Um, so I just figured the rest of my life would go that way. Um, so I think when, when it, that happened with Grant, it helped me see that I have much less control than I think I have. Mm. So trying to control things that I cannot control, exercise and futility. So there are certain things that don't bother me nearly as much and that honestly I see other parents have a lot of anxiety or stress about and to me it's I, I wouldn't it's hard to be in my position because they, they haven't had a child with autism so they don't have anything to compare it to yeah. right so it's like oh you know they're stressing out that their kid is doing whatever it is and to me it's like yeah I wish Grant would do that and he won't mm -hmm. in some ways I think the the diagnosis helped me see that trying to control everything, like how they're, who they're turning into and how they're doing in school and all that stuff, it doesn't quite work mm -hmm. that way. It doesn't quite work out that way, I don't think, but it could be totally wrong. When I asked them if they thought that here's me, Seth, and Matt again, having a child with autism affected their marriage, both of them are like, no, no, I don't think it does. Mm -hmm. I, I, to me, I was like, how could it not? Right. Well, I, I think that they took that question, how does having a son with autism affect your marriage negatively, right? But I can see positive ways like sh this shared experience that they have of both having you know, the same son with the same diagnosis makes them have to perform at every level in a different way. Mm -hmm. And shared experiences are what brings 
couples, relationships, soldiers, together. or anybody though. Anything, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, that, that's really interesting because um, a lot of actually, Doctor Corey Allen, who you'll hear in another episode, talks about that is like the next phase of relationships because you have the beginning of relationships that's like that um, oxytocin you know, like passionate stuff. And mm-hmm. then it's the shared experience that creates the sort of the longevity within a marriage. So I never thought of it. Right. Well, just uh, think about it like um, breaking it down really simply time together, spending time together on positive and negative things, shared experiences, you know, relating to one another through the same lens of what's going so, on. So even if the relating is through supporting their child who has autism. Exactly. That that can be a positive thing. When I sat down to review the tape for this episode, I realized how incredibly judgmental I was being. And this isn't very fun to admit, but I was completely under the impression that when I asked Sean and Carrie how having a child with autism had affected them, that they would both say, oh, it's been so hard, it's changed everything, but they both had very grounded attitudes about it. I just think it's worth noting that my preconceived idea of what it would do to your relationship when you have an autistic child was completely incorrect and it painted the way that I saw Sean and Carrie's relationship incorrectly. I think there's something very interesting there. Working together to overcome obstacles or to achieve a goal uh, against adversity is the recipe for all deep relationships, whether it be soldiers or uh, friends trying to accomplish something together, or in marriage, having kids is going to be that, and then having a specific uh, type of adversity with with a child is even more even more narrowly makes them even more narrow uh narrowly bonded together in that they they feel like they're the only two people that that know this specific thing and it's a challenge for both of them but in every way also it's it is it is difficult i mean in many many ways too it's difficult and a cause of stress so just having a kid binds a a man and woman together and also introduces a massive amounts of new stresses that is going to cause conflict between them I think probably the biggest challenge for our own culture. Here's Claudia Grafgrounds again, who we heard in episode two and three. Is that we think that coupling and marriage is having just that warm, safe home to be in. Mm-hmm. But I actually think it's also the place of, uh, therapists call it secondary trauma, where I actually, when I get close to you and I know that your history and your pain, I suffer with you. There's suffering that happens in marriages, and there's hopefully compassion and care that comes out of that shared suffering, but I'm going to be affected by that. You're going to be impatient with me in a relationship because of your history sometimes. You're going to hurt me. How do I love you in that? I think there's a lot of myths from movies and our culture that somehow marriage is supposed to be happily ever after. In my belief, and it really comes from a spiritual belief, mm-hmm. that um, we love each other in shared suffering sometimes. Yeah. That's where there's a place for grace loving you in spite of you mm-hmm. um, is going to be a big part of it. So I think that's that balance of spirituality that comes through in my understanding that I'm going to be affected by your history and your pain and your life, and that's going to be part of my life, mm-hmm. and I'm going to share in that suffering. We don't talk about shared suffering in marriage very often. No, that's not the fun part. That's not the fun part, and yet that's so much the When I'm sitting in therapy and people are sharing that part of their lives, the mm-hmm. most pained part of their lives, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's really the hardest fights, the most painful fights um, are often in those places, mm-hmm. and the healing can be the deepest, and you can have the most intimacy in those two. 
So all of us have unfinished business in our life, mm-hmm. and it clamors for our attention <laughs> at an unconscious level. This is Les and Leslie Parrott, who you'll remember from previous episodes. And I often liken it to holding a fully inflated basketball underneath the water in a swimming pool, and you're trying your best to act like it's not there, but all your energy is focused on keeping that thing submerged. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like when we have unfinished business in our life. We're constantly being clamored by this, and it can be about, you know, some kind of healing, some woundedness Mm -hmm. that we're carrying around. It can be some kind of um, compulsions that we have. But it, that, that's, it's bound to, to impact a marriage. Well, it's quite consuming, and it's compelling, too. It's mm-hmm. just, and, and it's always in the background, and it's also quite often why we choose the people we do to love, because there's a way they can help us finish that business, mm-hmm. or we're seeking that closure with them. Mm-hmm. So it is very powerful. And, and so we're deeply affected by our past, mm-hmm. and so is our spouse. Right. We're going to go back to my sister Carrie and her husband Sean for a minute and talk about a time in Sean's life that shaped him tremendously as a young man. It all starts when Sean's father is diagnosed with cancer. He had a tumor. It's a tumor the size of a pear wrapped up in his lower back and in his spine and stuff. Yeah. There was long periods of time when he would lay on the couch and we'd all be outside because if we were inside playing, it'd be too loud or right. our steps would be thump, thump, thump and would shake, you know, and, and that would hurt or yeah. cause more pain. And so there was a long period of time when it's just like, I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but I knew my dad wasn't okay. And then he had the, the tumor removed. I thought, oh, awesome. And they're like, oh, well, he has to, he still has to go through radiation therapy because, you know, he can get the, the big mass out, but he can't get all the little stuff. And, so went through that, and that was bad because radiation, you know, it's just, it makes you weak. It makes uh, uh, makes you lose your hair, um, that kind of stuff. Then, because he was going for a while, he was coming back and forth between Tri-Cities and Virginia Mason in Seattle for the treatments. And then they saw that uh, the tumors had spread up into his brain. They put these little, this little gold small piece of gold they implanted in his head and it like attracts the radiation so it doesn't kill the good stuff it only kills the cancer and so I'm like oh okay well you know and they they're going back and forth there's like a monthly thing they'd go back go uh, over here uh, for the weekend and come back and that was a normal thing for a long time and then I woke up in the morning and there was my mom and uh, my dad's best friend from childhood who had driven them over there uh, sitting in the kitchen. They were there, and I, I said, I was all excited and happy, right? Because there's mom, yeah. yay. And I said, well, where's dad? And she said, that's not coming home, dad died. So I know your, so your mother mm-hmm. married your dad's brother. Mm-hmm. How old were you when that happened? I was a senior in high school, so I was 18, just turned 18. So there was a five-year difference between... Yeah. Was that a hard time for mm-hmm. you, like, when... It originally was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was just weird on several levels for me, because, like, okay, well, it's my uncle, and you're my mom, and, of course, one of my biggest things, how do I say, tell my friends that my mom married my uncle? Um, and then there was a little bit, a little part of me, I remember actually thinking that it was, like, 
a betrayal of my dad, betrayal oh, my dad, right, yeah. right. because it's like that's his brother and all this weird stuff that's just not real. It's just what a 15, 16 year old kid thinks in his head when he doesn't understand things. The change it made in my mom's life was ridiculous, mm. right? So my dad dies, and it's just my mom, my brother, my sister, and me. And it's like we were, you know, okay, whatever. But definitely my mom was depressed. And then I noticed the more my uncle, come, Doug, coming around um, and being around, the more I thought I noticed she being happier. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Right. Um, but I, at the same time, it's like, well, why couldn't she have found some guy that was not related <laughs> to me? <laughs> when I asked him if he thought his father passing was related to how he handles his son having autism and all of that stuff, here's me, Seth, and Matt again. He says, no, he doesn't think it matters. But like... I see it like he had to deal with his father dying and then deal with emotionally understanding his mother marrying his uncle, which would have to at some point make you go like have emotional intelligence for other people and Mm -hmm. be like, I can see how this is benefiting my mom, even though it's confusing to me. Mm -hmm. I don't like how it feels, but I'm going to sort of be okay with it and happy with it because of how it affects someone else. To accept it because it's for the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. Now the family can continue. It just makes sense. So wait, so you're saying you think it's an asset for him to go, have gone through that trauma and having to do the work of understanding how something is works out for another person and having that broadness of experience makes him more understanding of 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 how to navigate or deal with the, something like having an, a child with a disability. Yeah, I think it, mm-hmm. I think that it has sort of set the stage for him to be more accepting of circumstances and situations mm-hmm. and see the that what might feel really terrible right now might not feel so terrible. Or might not be about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could talk about how like each major life event pretty much sets you up for dealing with the next major life event, either negatively or positively. In this case, you know, Sean turned, you know, the, the passing of his father, the weirdness of his mom marrying his uncle and you know he had a uh, he had made made meaning of that you know as a young teenager and then as he matured into like oh i'm a dad now made a different meaning of that that shaped how he looked at how he approached a role as a the the role of a father and making the family unit work right so it's every experience shapes our next experience if that makes sense yeah right? is made meaning a thing is that yeah, a term yeah like what's it mean the, we we made meaning i mean it, i don't you know can't it's just like repeat uh, it <laughs> a way to say that is that you don't live based on facts but it's the interpretation of your situation facts that actually are what how you live so like the narration the, the narrative around what you think those things meant right, right. it's not you know there's nothing about uh, your reality is subjective it's your interpretation of the reality that you live inside of. And, and each thing influences the next. It's your narrative of shared experiences, single experiences. It's, it's how you make meaning of things, everything. And and it never ends either. You know, it's not like, oh, I've come to my meaning. I've come to right. this. Yeah. No. It's evolving. Each one, each one evolves to the next. It's, it's well documented how everybody always says how humans are, are engineered for story and narrative. We know that. And, mm-hmm. And the reason you could tell that is because we that's what we do on a micro level. We make a story up about why this happened and it must be something. And so you're always going back to your previous experiences and trying to 
it seems like it has meaning, whether it's coincidence or not. We make it into a narrative or a meaning. So the thing about my dad must have had something to do with this, and that's just the way that, that we interpret things. We put them into a story. I see how I have been creating a narrative that's incorrect. So for a long time, I thought, like, like we talked about last time, my dad, like, oh, I think my dad doesn't need me. That's, a, that's the thing I put in my own head. My dad never said he didn't need me. Mm-hmm. It's the lens and the meaning that I made of it. Mm-hmm. When I was six years old, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what was happening. This is the story that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. It's heavy and talks about domestic violence and sexual abuse, and we recommend that you do not listen to this story with young children present. If you feel the need to skip this story, that is totally okay. But we don't want you to miss out on the overarching message behind it and the reason we put it in this episode in the first place. This story is about a woman who was sexually abused by her father as a young child and also witnessed the domestic abuse of her mother by the same man. We chose this story because this moment in my friend's life, this experience when she was only six years old, has shaped her marriage to this very day. I didn't know what was happening. I tried to tell my mom. I think she was so shocked by what I was even saying because I couldn't even articulate it. The first night it happened, I told her about it when she came home in my six-year-old words, you know, like, daddy touched me with his whatever, or, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I think she was like so shocked that she just kind of threw it out of her mind is how she described it later. Um, But she also told me, like, I started drawing pictures of, like, naked men. I'm maybe six years old. I'm standing outside of the bathroom door. My mom's in the bathtub, and my dad's got his hair blow dryer in there in a yelling fit. It's plugged into the wall, and he throws it into the tub at her. What happened? It unplugged (laughs) before it reached But, I mean, most of those things are on the little spirally, you know. Mm. I could have watched my my mom be electrocuted to death. And I saw him, like, throw things. Like, you remember those little porcelain uh, incense-burning houses? Mm -hmm. He threw one of those at her. She had busted teeth because of him. It was bad. My parents got a divorce because my dad was having an affair with my stepmother. I don't know how long it would have lasted. Um, if she hadn't come in the picture. I'm not saying that my mother was innocent of kind of pushing my dad's buttons, you know. She snapped at him, and I think they trained themselves after such a long time being together that they knew how to get on the other person's nerves, and there wasn't really a, a point where they stopped, you know. I think when I was 11 years old, I remember I was sitting in the car. My dad's driving... My stepmom is sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm sitting in the back seat with uh, two siblings. We're driving home, and there's something on the radio, some news story about a man who sexually abused his daughter. I'm, like, sweating. I'm looking in the rearview mirror at my dad's eyes the entire time and just feeling like, Like, I have something that I'm hiding and I'm ashamed of that is being exposed. And as I'm watching his eyes, my stepmom is in the passenger seat freaking out about how terrible this man is, how she could never 
and like imagine a man would do something like that. Keep in mind, I'm also looking to my stepmom kind of as like a savior from this terribly abusive relationship that my dad had with my mother. So she's kind of become, she kind of came into the picture, even though it was in a very sinful way. I looked to her as like this beacon of like morality and justice and good, you know, and this fear of my secret being exposed rattled me. Like I just, I didn't know what to do with myself because if she knew this, clearly she's going to leave my father mm -hmm. and then he's going to turn back into this mm -hmm. wild animal who he was before. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember so clearly like watching his eyes in the rearview mirror, not even like flinch, not even a single flinch. What did you guys do or what have you been doing to work through the abuse issues and what that looks like in your marriage. My husband asked me to go through some classes. I went through counseling twice um, with a couple of different people on sort of different related topics, but they all both explored it because it was a big part of my experience as a child. I feel like there probably is still a lot more action to be taken, honestly. I think a big step forward for both of us has been those instances where I've felt comfortable being vulnerable and opening up to a handful of close friends or um, talking to my husband, just being just being honest in, in the moment and being willing to not just be comfortable and complacent, but actually prodding into those things, even when it feels really uncomfortable or you don't want to talk about it. But it's difficult. Sometimes you're not the one who's uncomfortable and the person who's uncomfortable is your spouse. And you can't force them to talk. You know, it's just going to push them further away and shut them down. So definitely being vulnerable and being honest and having somebody to talk to, even if it's not your spouse, is important. Um, but as much as possible, those conversations need to start with your spouse. That really sounds to me isolating and and in gathering all these tape all the tape for this podcast and all the stories across all the episodes, what strikes me is that the the main difference is in experiences that you have that are either isolating that you deal with the death of us of a, a parent that your spouse does not or something that happens to you at, at worst case scenario when you're a child and you can't even articulate uh, the experience you're having you have little to no chance of sharing it with anybody at all. And then on the other hand, you have experiences where uh, where parents together have a shared loss of a child or a child with disability. And the, the difference in what's shared and what's not and how well it's shared seems to be the, the really big difference. And I think that must be what, I mean, it kind of gave me this light bulb of clarity about, oh, that's what therapy is. That's what talking about stuff is. That's what telling other people's stories and letting them connect to it is. Experiencing things in isolation is terrible. Oh, so that's interesting. So you're saying you're taking an isolated 
experience and you're creating it, you're turning it into yes. a shared experience right. by sitting down with someone and, and that's what therapy is and that's kind of what this podcast hopefully is, is achieving in, in some degree because it makes me identify with the Susie from episode one or you yeah. know the, these stories this way and and some, some it's so clear when you see a man and a, and a woman share an experience together and move forward that's binding versus all the, the, the most terrible of stories is one when you hear it and it seems like somebody had something bad happen to them and in isolation or kept from other people and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want your opinions on this because I, Seth and I talk about this a lot and it's a, uh, so personal experience health wise on my part, because as a kid, I had lots of weird health things happen like, um, injuries, injuries. So I got in a really bad car accident. When I was nine with mm-hmm. no seatbelts. My sister broke the windshield with her head. I mean, it was terrible. We were in like an old metal seventies car um, and then the next year, I lost my spleen. I fell off my deck, and it ruptured into my body. And then from that tra- that traumatic accident, I now have spleens growing all over my internal organs and Splenoids. uterus and stuff. And then I lost my appendix. I got sick last year and had my appendix removed. I had a miscarriage. So I have had all of these weird physical things. It just feels like I get them over and over and over again. And I feel like those are isolating. And that Seth doesn't understand them. Right. I think you have to understand that those experiences aren't isolating. You're not isolated from talking to me about those. We talk about, we've talked about them for years, right? So I, I think what you're looking for in that is maybe you want some sort of sympathy or empathy. Like I don't have to, you know, fall off a deck and injure my spleen. Oh, great. Now our marriage is better because we understand one another. It's the level at which I like, can connect with you and listen to you about yeah. those things, which I feel that I, I have, but you're, it's like, it's like you're, you're, you want me to feel more sorry for you no, on some level. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know what I want from you, but I genuinely feel like you don't get how it, cause there's something about being physically ill. Like when I had the miscarriage a month after losing the baby, I got a horribly sick. I mm-hmm. had, um, they thought it was endometritis, mm-hmm. which is different than endometriosis. It, I was hospitalized, and then they found the splenules and gave me the nuclear medicine test. They gave me the wrong nuclear medicine test, so they injected me with radioactive mm-hmm. medicine, the wrong right. one. Yeah, the wrong one. So then the next day, they injected me with another one. And there's some sort of trauma around mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that has that I feel like is it. It's like it makes everything is harder to understand mm-hmm. after you go through something like that and there's something that feels urgent in me mm-hmm. for you to understand mm-hmm. it but I don't know what it is I think the urgency is the the longing for connection I can never have that sh- that experience that you have right or have had I can't much like you can't have certain experiences that I have you know some on some things we cannot look through the other's person the other person's lens right what I can do is connect with you on that i think what you're looking for it's not about the injuries it's not about the physical trauma it's about the the thing that you want is that feeling of connectedness that feeling of like okay my spouse understands he he gets me he's a he's a soft place to land he can listen you know etc um but i i can't i can't go through that trauma that you went through mm-hmm. i guess i kind of just wanted to talk about it Mm-hmm. Because I I am definitely not alone in having physical illness things happen. And then I think particularly female reproductive stuff is really weird. It's mm-hmm. extremely frustrating and you can't 
voice it in a way that makes sense to people and mm -hmm. it's overwhelming and it's scary, it impacts our marriage. Right. That I, I like, I worry about if my body's, if I'm going to get sick again. You know, when we started this podcast, I, like two months in, I got my, my appendix infected and I had to have a surgery. And then mm -hmm. the surgery was harder because I've had past surgeries mm -hmm. when I had lost my spleen. So I'm like, I mean, my intestines were like adhered to my abdominal walls. Just crazy crap. Right. You know? Well, right. the, the hard thing about that is, it, as we were speaking before about narrative and story, is you almost don't have the choice but to tell yourself that this is part of a story or part of who I am or I'm a victim or physical things happen to me. There's a confirmation bias there, and, and you continue to recognize it as, see, these things happen to me. I know what it is. You, yourself, haven't made meaning of those things. I can't. But you're expecting other people to. And when you expect other people to figure out your story for you, it could be a, a conflictual place to live, you know, to, to be. And especially in relationship, like, I can't understand. I can't make meaning. I can't solve it for you because that's you. It's your journey. It's your narrative. It's your choice to make meaning of that. So only when you make meaning is when you can share that meaning with me and I'll be the soft place to, to land. All right. I love this episode. It's a heavy one, mm -hmm. but it is really, really good. Um, what were a few things that stood out to you? Was there any specific things like topics that people talked about? You mentioned earlier when we were talking about Les Parrot, talking about the basketball under water. Yeah, the basketball idea. underwater. And this goes if you're single, married, divorced, slash whatever. That's here. I have this quote. So he was giving the analogy that um, things, right? Mm -hmm. If unresolved issues. Unresolved issues are like a basketball um, and that you're trying to hold underwater. You know, you're yeah. always struggling, you know, and that, that can be the sense of all kinds of anxiety and different maladaptive reactions, depression, anxiety, stress, uh, OCD, all this stuff. But that made me think of a quote that I quoted, I don't know, like a year and a half ago about something. And it's from Sigmund Freud. And he says, unexpressed emotions will never die. Mm. They are buried alive and will come forth later in uglier ways. Mm. And that was, as a psychologist, that was just profound to me. And, you know, Freud is, is great and whatever. But, but think about it. We all have stuff, right? And if we don't express those things, then we um, aren't living to our fullest potential right mm -hmm. and sometimes expressing those things are the scariest thing that you could ever do mm -hmm. you know and a lot of people are just walking around like zombies mm -hmm. in, in fact like I, I have clients or like not even zombies but some people are also walking around like a like a, a volcano about to erupt because mm -hmm. they're so angry or they're so whatever right you know? but where you say you have right so that's that the what? those emotions coming up as in uglier in ways, ways you know yeah. but you could always track it back to something in childhood you can always tra track it back to some form of of trauma uh, mm -hmm. in any degree yeah. right trauma times a million or trauma times 10 or mm -hmm. whatever and if we don't talk about these things if we don't resolve those things for ourselves individually mm -hmm. getting married only puts like a laser beam, mm. sun-powered mm -hmm. uh, microscope magnifying glass on it, right? Yeah. And we're a little ant just burning to death and yeah. not knowing why. Because like you have brought things out in me, just I'm like, okay, this is too much. I have cried the most bitter tears in the history of the world 
being married to you and vice versa. But guess what? Felt the most amazing emotions that I never would have felt had I not married you. Uh huh. Well, and that's like what uh, Dr. Claudia Graf Grounds says, mm-hmm. talking about um, if you can work through those. Uh, if you can work through those past traumas, like with mm-hmm. your partner, mm-hmm. you can have the most healing or not even with your partner, but like with a therapist, mm-hmm. they're the hardest things to work through, but they also are where you get the most healing and see the most change because they're mm-hmm. the things that hold you back the most. Right. Um, I have a really weird example. Of- well, hold on. Not yet. So yeah, she was talking about like you witness the other person's pain as a therapist. I mm-hmm. witness people's pain all the time and hear the most terrible stories. We uh-huh. learn how to deal with it. But in a partnership in the, in the marital partnership, you can bear witness to each other's pain and walk them through that and carry them when they can't carry themselves mm-hmm. sometimes. And when you do that, that goes back to shared experiences like we talked about with Matt, mm-hmm. that those things bond you together, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it really is can be... Uh, and shared suffering. Mm-hmm. Like- shared suffering, yeah, and, and, and galvanizing. And sometimes there's also instances of we have friends that have gone through terrible things and that ripped them apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're, not, they're not together. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That, that shared experience was it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was thinking, it's going to sound like such a weird example, but it's every morning when Doug wakes up, our dog, Doug. You have a smile on your face. Well, it's very cute what he does. But it, it, this is... So I'm going to preface this. Can you say his full name, please? Douglas Fur. Uh, sir. I do not call him Sir. I call him Douglas Fur. If you are. <laughs> yes, if you are. But when I, whenever we get him up in the morning, we go to take him out and he's little. So I pick him up because I love little things. And so I pick him up and every morning without fail, he <laughs> like snuggles like I've never seen a dog do. I mean, mm-hmm. he like puts his head into my neck and he will literally just sit there and breathe and like go mm-hmm. <gasps> like he loves it so much and if you don't do that with him he is not okay <laughs> right if you do not have his snuggle if he doesn't get his snuggle time he is not okay he literally like whines he's he kind like, of he's like me <laughs> yes he is like you and that i mean i literally am telling you that example because right. it is an like a living example of something that's not even human mm-hmm. going, I need this expression of love. And without it, I'm, I'm actually not okay. I'm going to cry. I'm yeah. going to be l- sort of, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to stand. I, should I eat? Should I not? Should I lay? Should I stand at the door? Should I cry some more? Mm-hmm. And the answer is just hold him. Yeah. And so what you're saying is attachment. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like attachment. He's a puppy, so he's looking for like, oh, I don't know. What's my world? There's no other dogs around. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to hold something warm that pets me back, that speaks mm-hmm. kindly to me. You mm-hmm. know? And there's like dozens and dozens of studies on different mammal groups. Oh, yeah. That were they, attachment you know, uh, avoidant, uh, secure, uh, insecure, all these attachment styles. And, you know, these these studies are really are, are grim, but uh, yeah, there, there's a whole host of people, of, of, animals in the study that like they fail to thrive and they die die. if they're not touched yeah you know and and i think the reason i brought that up was Mm -hmm. sort of in the same vein if our that's an unexpressed emotion so if we ignored doug's need Mm. for these morning snuggles Mm -hmm. he would probably grow up to be kind of a jerk of a dog Mm -hmm. that and that happens people do that all the time and they don't know why their dog's like an idiot and mean and it's because you've ignored this thing over and over and over again in the same way if we ignore like oh there's you know i had this trauma in my childhood like i talk about all the weird Mm -hmm. health issues that i have i can't i really can't just ignore them i need to address them right and that could be with a therapist it could be with a spouse it could and since then since this podcast actually addressing them with you and matt in the show and talking about them with like Dr. Tina and stuff like that. that was I don't oh yeah. I don't feel that same urgency at all. Mm. Like it I feel 
a hundred percent different. Mm-hmm. I don't look at things like, but I'm going to die and it's so bad. And what right. will happen again? Like well, there's just this anxiety that is removed because I've expressed it. Right. So I, I know that you said at the top of the show, you don't want me to go on tangents or whatever, but this is a, a tangent. So remember when we went to the intimacy retreat, right? In mm-hmm. Dallas a couple mm-hmm. years ago, we've talked about it before. And your grandmother had recently, mm-hmm. I think fairly recently passed away, yeah. like, like six months prior to that maybe. or something, or maybe a year. And, you know, you, you didn't have a super great relationship with your grandma. She was kind of It wasn't bad. It was avoidant. just, I didn't. You, there was not much attachment there, yeah, right? Yeah, that's but the But you were always it. longing for that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I had a grandma that X, Y, Z. And in that very safe, uh, facilitative environment, uh-huh. something came up for of you. the intimacy retreat, yeah. That had nothing to do with, like, physical intimacy uh, yeah. or anything like that. I mean, I think it probably did on on different levels. Mm-hmm. But remember, you were just in that environment and we were talking about connection and pleasure and sex and all this stuff, but you you like not I'm you didn't lose it, but you like processed out mm-hmm. loud with tears and just like mm-hmm. ooh, really tears about that missed relationship mm-hmm. with your grandmother. And again, because it's that Everything is interconnected. Right. All of it is interconnected. Like my, uh, again, going back to Doug, Doug's inability to calm himself if he hasn't just hugged a person mm-hmm. for five minutes, it, it really manifests, it stays as energy in his body. If he doesn't mm-hmm. get that sort of like oxytocin release, he's yeah. just this like wound up, pent up thing and he feels weird, but he doesn't know why mm-hmm. and he can't solve it any other way. And so I think in that uh, event at that retreat, mm-hmm. having that time where I'm, where, you know, Dr. Tina is asking you, what is holding you back? What are the events that have really marked you in a whatever way? Right. And that's what kept coming up where I was like, not necessarily grieving that my grandmother had passed, mm-hmm. like she was old and she was sick, but I was grieving that I didn't have a relationship with her. And, and somehow, I mean, of all things, why would that come up? But it's because like the quote you're saying from Sigmund, mm-hmm. it will come <laughs> up. What? Sigmund Freud? Uh, that mi- I was like, you just mispronounced it. I, I was like, sorry. It's his first name. I know, but it just sounded <laughs> weird because everybody, nobody says Sigmund. They say Freud, but... His mom called him Sigmund. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, from Sigmund Freud, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was just coming up in this strange way. And I feel like it was that, it was that same kind of energy that Doug has when he's not cuddling with somebody. It's that same, like, I don't feel easy. I don't feel calm. I can't feel like I can rest and just sit here and snuggle with you something's wrong i don't know what Mm -hmm. you know and that's when i say zillions of people are walking around like zombies because they Mm -hmm. feel that but they're not getting that and Mm -hmm. the worst feeling in the world is to know that you need something but you have no idea how to get it no the worst feeling is childbirth (laughs) just kidding (laughs) no there's an i'm just there's an end to childbirth you have the kid right and uh, but feeling that need and not feeling getting... that feeling that need and not even being able to identify it. It's just like, it's like feeling like falling, but you don't know. It's just pitch black and there's no solid yeah. ground behind you. You don't You're know like, what way to go. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. Yeah. Right. But I know I having, I'm, I'm, but you know, you're falling. Right. Yeah. And that's why so many people turn to drugs and alcohol or pornography or shopping or workaholism or all, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. We're just trying to fill a need. And it makes me think, it's like, we're just chemicals, man. Oh, yeah. Sheesh. Oh, yeah. Our chemicals are just driving mm. so, chemicals and patterns. Like, it's ridiculous yeah. when you start to think of it that way. And then, but that's also helpful. Like, awareness is curative. When like, when you them, go, yeah. oh, my chemicals and my patterns are driving like 98% of everything, 99% of everything I do. Yeah. And if I can 
know that about myself and then change that, that is helpful for my future relationships. And so what I wanted to do today is actually dive into some of the workbook questions. Mm -hmm. Because if you're new to this podcast, we have a workbook for season one. So all of these episodes that we're re releasing and that were remastered have an actual like 80 something page workbook that I made in relationship to these episodes. Mm -hmm. So if you hear episode four, what do we do now? That's the name of the episode. And you say to yourself, oh, I feel those feelings or, oh yeah, I experienced this as a child and I haven't processed it. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. We have questions in our workbook to guide you through processing some of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wanted to just kind of pop through some of these questions really quick so that you get a sense of what it is, what we're trying to do with the workbook and why we created it. And this is, again, this is an episode all about experiences. The experiences mm -hmm. shape us as an individual, then shape our relationships and how we view things and how we process them. And how you show up in marriage. Yes, how you show up in marriage. And so, for example, question number one is just take a moment to list a few critical events from your childhood that stand out as being particularly important or impactful. This could be a divorce, a major illness, the loss of someone special, moving away, any event that shifted the way that you perceived yourself and the world around you. Mm -hmm. No event is too small or no event is too big or too small to mention if it is important to you. Um, and another thing too, at the intimacy retreat, mm -hmm. I talked about skid dying, right. our having to put our dog down. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing which... Uh, that is why I wrote on this question, no event is too big or too small. Right. Because I thought, why would it matter to me mm -hmm. that we had to put our dog down? And I, I, I genuinely hadn't processed it. I thought mm -hmm. I thought I had. I'm you know, doing my best not to cry anytime someone says his name. Right. But I really hadn't processed it. So, so th I just wanted to kind of introduce listeners to the workbook, what it actually, yeah. what the questions actually are. In, in clinical terms, I think I said this before, we call them nodal events, mm -hmm. N-O-D-A-L, and it just means events of significance. Mm -hmm. Trauma, car crashes, accidents, major job promotion, major move, anything like that is a nodal mm -hmm. event, and those shape how you make meaning. That that Again, that, that really genuinely shapes how you show up in marriage. And so many people think, oh, that was no big deal. You know, we'll get married. Yeah. This is us now. You know, uh -huh. but trust me, people. We've been married for 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, those things absolutely will come up. Yeah. And, and we've talked about it a little bit, like in this whole house move mm -hmm. and redoing the house, there were things that were there for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, geez, Seth, Seth's standards for a house, you know, are terribly, terribly low. No, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like it's kidding. like good, bad, or indifferent. It's like, oh, that is what he knows. Yeah, that is what he grew up with. That yes. was his university of whatever, and that came from a place of what whatever in my family, right? The same. Now your standards. When you say whatever, it's kind of confusing. I don't know what you mean. Can you be more specific? What Sorry. Is, what does a place of whatever mean? That came from a place of maybe anxiety okay right so um let's say in a in a family okay my i learned my standard of house cleaning mm -hmm. it was tip top you know the house had to be cleaned by 5 p.m oh guess why because dad would come home at 5 p.m and he was overbearing and he would yell at mom mm. so mom formed an anxiety around that oh. to be like kids we got to clean the house get you know get on it blah blah, blah. Mm. you know come four o'clock everybody's scrambling like mad to oh. get the house clean that's interesting you, you understand that what I'm saying? actually is really um eye-opening for me because mm -hmm. i didn't know that that was the case mm -hmm. and i've always wondered like sometimes you'll come home and the house will be a mess but my my assumption is everybody's going to clean this at like 7 30 so right. i don't care mm -hmm. let it be a mess right now yeah 7 30 after supper 
we're gonna all clean so yeah. who cares but you and you were never mean about it but you always it was like you didn't like it and it had this vibe of what did you do all day Right. You know, and yeah. then, uh, so that's in, that's really interesting. Which I've never asked you. No, like, you've never ever done that. You've so been I'm, eating bonbons all day. What the heck? <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten a bonbon. Um, but another question that is in the workbook. This is question number eleven, and this is something that you were saying. Like people walk around like zombies, and they don't know how to process these feelings. They almost mm-hmm. don't even know that they need to process them or that they would be there. But number eleven says, write down a few ways that you will continue to process these experiences in the future. For example, writing poetry journaling connecting with a therapist talking with a community group etc processing some events takes longer than others and that is totally okay Mm -hmm. but even that like i give you like anything of like hey you can talk to a therapist about this you could write poetry you Mm -hmm. could journal you could talk to a friend like Mm -hmm. i it's sort of like saying here are a few really easy easy entry points no big deal. Right. This is a way to start you know a way to start take a walk and just speak speak out loud out loud not yelling or whatever but just loud and just go through all of your just thoughts process it like i've been doing that up and down walking down our driveway mm-hmm. at night because i'm doing the 75 hard and it's literally just been miles and miles of me monologuing mm-hmm. and just and it's working really things out. it really is good it's very therapeutic it's very helpful so i would highly encourage people to get the workbook you can go to anatomyofmarriage.com click the orange workbook button and it's right there it's 24.99 get it it's cheaper than therapy you're gonna love it it's so helpful and there's also an audio version so mm-hmm. you can listen to me read it to you if you need but um <laughs> i think it's just a really great tool and resource and this episode about experiences you know my friend who was sexually abused by her father like so many people are carrying these things around they have no avenue of speaking about it they don't think it's a big enough deal to talk to a therapist about they think i've already done i'm, I'm past that mm-hmm. i'm way past that you might, your body might not be, mm. you know, the body keeps the score. That's right. Your body might not be past it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing too, I want to mention is that something I've noticed uh, with motherhood, especially, and, and being friends with other moms and things like that is that events that happen to you as a child will, um, that maybe you had forgotten about, like when you were, maybe it's, okay, there's probably anything to do with any type of sexual um, abuse or, mm molestation or anything like Mm -hmm. that but when you become a mom and you have a spouse and you have a child that becomes the age that you were when maybe you were abused by someone this thing happens where all of a sudden you start to look at your spouse and you're like what if they do it Mm -hmm. oh my gosh and then there's this there's this like floodgate that opens and there's so much shame and guilt because you're like but I love my spouse. Why would mm-hmm. I even think that about them? Part of that is like not having processed mm-hmm. a thing you've gone through. Yeah. You know, it's not just that your spouse is terrible and they're going to do this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. It is literally like different phases and seasons of our lives can sometimes reveal that we haven't processed something. So mm-hmm. maybe that didn't matter for the first, you know, 27 years, but you're 28 when your kid is three and you're like, oh my gosh. And now all of a sudden you're having, now you have to process that. One other thing towards the end that I really liked was this concept or beginning to talk about people or, or as we have traumas or issues in our life, if we seek isolation, then usually those, those, things get worse, right? Uh-huh. So is- isolation, I can't say it. Isolation is the enemy to processing things, mm-hmm. right? 
And if we, that's like healing or healing, right? So when we like, uh, I've had friends before, like, oh, I haven't heard from you. What's going on? It's like, oh, I'm not really doing that great. Right. So they're isolating themselves because they have shame or they're scared or just like, I'm stronger than this. Come on. What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And when we can share those struggles, Mm -hmm. normalize those struggles, then we begin to shed light on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of therapy isn't, I'm going to go talk to a professional and they will give me the answers. Mm -hmm. They will tell me what to do. No, a good therapist's job is to tease the answers out of you that you already hold inside you, Mm -hmm. right? And to have a conversation around it and to normalize it and to coach you and say, have you thought about it this way? Mm Because I don't know you. I don't know your history. But it sounds like a person in this position may want to try this thing and tell me how that works. Mm -hmm. And... The cool thing about that is we have the answers inside of us. I strongly believe that. That like God, creator, gave us that light. We have that light. And we can do almost anything, honestly. And we can figure out our stuff. And we are stronger when we have partners, when we have people, when we have community. When someone's got your six. That's exact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that. Matt said that at the end, that that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Mm-hmm. I thought about it. This is the opposite of isolation. <laughs> like right. What we're doing with our show is the complete opposite of keeping it quiet, hiding it. Don't mm-hmm. talk about it. It's weird. People feel weird. Mm-hmm. This is, no, talk about all of it. Like not to be weird, not to be crazy show off people, but right. like this is an invitation for people to process some of their hurt, um, process some of the things that they've struggled with and mm-hmm. that they need to work through and that would really impact them deeply if they could heal from and begin that journey you Mm -hmm. know and so that's why we made the workbook that's why we made the podcast and that's why we'll even our community i want to create an aom pro club where pro club yeah pro club where people are sharing their amazing stories of growth mindset or Mm -hmm. breakthroughs like all the stuff that we've shared about our own personal lives on the show like oh my gosh that was so huge i'm so glad you know it's like the antithesis of facebook you're not complaining you're actually oh my gosh you're a pro club you're You're, you're yeah claiming (laughs) <laughs> oh, I like that. You're the not commiserating club. on, you know, uh, you know, uh. hashtag Mondays. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, but um, I'm just glad that you guys joined us. I hope that you liked episode four. That's it. We're done. Yeah, we're done. And I think it was really I loved this episode. Mm-hmm. I loved making it. It was hard to make. It's hard to collect these stories from people that you love. And it's, I'm very thankful for the people who shared their stories because yeah. they're very hard to share. Uh, you know, my brother-in-law talking about his father dying. Like, mm. these are not easy things to share. They're not mm-hmm. e- th- easy things to hear. But I think this is this place where real growth can ha- happen. And I really pray that you guys get the workbook. I hope that you go get it at anatomyofmarriage.com. Hit that orange workbook button. Download it. It's cheaper than therapy. It's cheaper yeah. than a trip to Costco by a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's cheaper than a Costco membership. <laughs> uh, but I really, really really hope that this is helping people and if it is leave us a rating on itunes let your friends know about the yeah, show spread yeah. the word that boosts the show and what yeah one more thing go get growth mindset books audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage get a f- completely free book on us and audiobook a, audiobook yeah there's a million thank you guys you're awesome tune in next wednesday mm-hmm. and we'll see For you episode then. number five all, all right. right talk to you later bye bye